listening to the iterators of the Imperium. Hi, I'm Miss, and I'm here with my lovely co-host Ryan, and you're listening to Season 3 of the Iterators of the Imperium podcast, the podcast in which I am the noob in Warhammer 40k, and Ryan is the expert teaching me about the Warhammer universe. So yeah, Ryan, take it over. Alrighty, so as with every other episode this season, uh, I have a little intro thing just to set the scene, you know? You know? Yes. 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 I feel like I need to make a point in explaining this stuff because it is possible this will be someone's first episode of our nonsense. So <laughs> it might just be really goddamn confusing. Yep, that so is true. I figured I would mention it uh, just for safety's sake. So yes, sir. in this season, as prior listeners will know, we are uh, telling the story of the Primarchs, but as if it's Mez as the Primarch. Big nose Mez. Exactly. So... Uh, as you'll know, as you'll recall, Mez, uh, you are, you know, theoretical, metaphorical super baby. Yes. And you are obviously innocent and kind of blind to the universe around you, unaware of who you are, what you are, or who or what your parents are, or any of the horrors or wonders of the galaxy. Yes. Uh, the year is somewhere between eight, 700 and 800 of the 30th millennium. Slaanesh has just been born, the warp storms ravaging the galaxy have finally cleared, the Eldar are, you know, recoiling from being eaten by Slaanesh, for the most part. And back on Terra, the Emperor of Mankind has established the Imperium of Man with the aid of his right and left-hand men, Malkador the Sigilite and Constantine Valdor. It's not Constantine Valdor, why do I keep doing this? I did this back at the start as well! Ah. Wait, is it? Apologies. No, it's not. No, it's really not. That's the new guy. <sighs> I'm just going to move on. Anyway, none yep. of that matters. None of that has anything to do with what we're talking about today. <laughs> so I apologize. I keep I keep mixing up the old and the new uh, leaders of the Custodes, the Emperor's Honor Guard. It's fine, Ryan. It's fine. Yeah. It's because I've been taking over the intros uh, the last couple of episodes. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, you got me out of it. That's what it is. You're out of practice. You just need to get back to it then. You know know what's annoying me? The worst part of it is is that I've got it in my head. Now that I've doubted myself because I said that, I'm like, wait, (laughs) is it Constantine Valdor? Have I maybe mixed up the names like twice now and now I'm correct again? Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, screw it. None of that matters. We're going to move on to the point to say we're not talking about Constantine Valdor today, damn it. (laughs) Today, we are talking about... This planet right here, which is Chemos, this is where this is where you landed. It's very green and kind of dull. I think it's beautiful from the outside, at least. I don't know how the planet, like down on the ground, is, but honestly, one of the better ones. (laughs) Okay, that sounds good. So, just to show you where it sits in the galaxy, this is over in the Ultima Segmentum again. But whereas, uh, like last time in the Conrad Kurz episode, you were way, way out on that kind of northern eastern edge by the ghoul stars. Yeah. This time you're very close to, uh, to, the, uh, to the soul system. You're very close to Terra. Because that little center yeah. section is where Terra is. So you're not too far out this time. Uh, yeah. Which is good. So, back to this terrible place. <laughs> Terra, so, please. Oh. Trust me, it's terrible. No, no, it's just terror. Ah, ah. terrible, please. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> I see what you did. So yeah, this is a kind of bleak grey world, right? <laughs> so, Chemos yeah. has two sons, but they're both quite small, and... There's also a kind of a nebulous dust cloud around the planet, and that and the two suns cause this planet to basically be constantly bathed in like a grey light. So it doesn't have day or night; it just has grey all the time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds bad for your skin. <laughs> it sounds fucking depressing above all else. It sounds like Denmark in the summer. 
Sounds well, like Scotland, Scotland in the winter. Summer. Yeah. I, Sounds like Scotland year round, to be honest with you. Gotta love a Scottish summer. It was a Wednesday this year. <laughs> so, uh, this world was settled, like, back before the Age of Strife, right? So this has been settled by humans for a really long time. Probably because it was quite close by. It's one of the early, uh, easier ones we could get to. But... Once the Age of Strife kicked off, it was totally separated from all the worlds around it by the warp storms. They couldn't get anywhere, so they were stuck yeah. here. And this is a mining world. So they very quickly ended up in a state where they couldn't produce enough food or materials for the populace to survive. Hmm. So what they did was they kind of incorporated, right? They built these gigantic fortress factories, right? Mm. And then everyone on the planet just agreed that they would give up all form of like, I don't know, I guess extra stuff in life. So you would give up leisure time, you would give up recreation, you would give up arts, that kind of stuff. That would all go and all you would do is work and sleep. Because otherwise, the entire population of this planet would die. That was a fact. There was no way around it. Either everyone's on board, or we're all dead. So they did it. They made that call. <laughs> uh, not a great place to be. <laughs> no, so just, I'm starting to get the gist that it's horrendous, a horrendous place. Well, it's at least very depressing. It's at least yeah, very depressing. Yeah, it sounds depressing. Yeah. But... This has been the state of uh, Chemos for centuries, for generations. That has been the state of Chemos. Just working, sleeping, working some more, eventually dying, and one of your, like, probably one of your kids takes your place. And that's how it goes over and over and over and over. Uh, this really is life sucks and then you die. Yeah, that, that, really that's is, it. Right? Life sucks and then you die. Yeah, you're spot on. That's exactly how you sum up this planet. That should be their slogan. <laughs> yes. So, uh, this kind of just continued on until the day that you come into the story. It continues a bit further after that, to be fair, but still. So, on one auspicious day, three labourers, uh, Tulia, Corin, and Sulax were sent out to investigate a meteor impact, right? Yeah. Because it might have materials. Is it worth, like, breaking it down into, into minerals or anything like that? Let's see. So they sent out these three random workers to go check it out. And when they arrived, they didn't find uh, a meteor or, like, a crashed spacecraft or any of that stuff on the impact site. They found a mass of radiant light. Okay. Right? Now, these three stared, like, they stared at it, like, what the fuck is this? And yeah. Sulax was, was, like, much more wary than the other two. And Corin was adamant this random being of pure light was utterly harmless. Right? Yeah. Uh, until the light reached out and touched Corin's mind. In that okay. moment, it learned everything he knew and then formed into the shape of a perfect baby boy. Oh. Yeah. Now, Sulax immediately wanted to kill it. Of course. Because, right? <laughs> like, course. what the fuck is this? Shape-shifting ball of light. Get that killed right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> is it your first day in this universe? That needs to be killed <laughs> right now. <laughs> Come on, guys. Kill or be killed. Yeah. Uh... But, basically, while trying to convince the other two to kill it, uh, Corin starts arguing with him, refusing to let him kill it, because he, I don't know, I guess he's decided he loves it, I, I don't know. I don't know what his reasoning really was, but he likes the ball of light, baby, so he's like, <laughs> you're not fucking killing it. Uh, and then, luckily, Tulia, the lesser-known member of this trio, uh, ended it right then and there by putting a bullet through, <laughs> through Salax's head. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Just gunned him down right then and there. It was like, that's enough of that. <laughs> no baby killing on my watch. <laughs> so, 
Corin had noticed something after this, right? Because they obviously were there for a bit, realizing they just shot their friend. Uh, Corin notices that from where the incubation pod had impacted, there was now a stream flowing from there, a stream of water. But it was pure, clean water, the kind you don't really see on this planet a lot. Yeah. So he took it as like a sign of providence. This is... This this child is obviously only for good, because yeah. that's happened, and obviously this baby is you this time. For some reason, you were briefly a ball of light, <laughs> shine bright like a diamond. That's <laughs> it, <laughs> or like a beacon of light. The beacon is lit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, after kind of seeing or after noticing this like flow of pure clean water coming from where you had landed. Uh, yeah. Corinne decides that this is a sign of what is to come. This is, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be a good thing for this world. But he takes yeah. it as quite a literal way to uh, find the name for this baby. So, so you need a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Chemos obviously has been separated from Earth long enough that Earth is like Terra is just a myth, right? No one even believes yeah. it exists anymore. People don't even think about it. So they have their own kind of religions and their own kind of mythologies and stuff. And in their yeah. mythology, there is a, there is the water bringer, right? The creature that created water in their world. Mm-hmm. So he decides to name you after the water bringer, Fulgrim. Okay. Yeah. See, now you know yeah. where you stand. Yeah. So you are taken in by these people, right? You are taken back to their factory fortress called Kalax, and you are raised with them. Now, as you know, Primarchs grow pretty damn fast, and yeah, pretty soon you're you're going to work in the factory yourself, right? Yeah. Because obviously they needed to replace Sulax, who just got a bullet in the skull for no reason. <laughs> so I imagine you got his spot. Uh, so you worked away quite happily, running your machinery every day, fabricating stuff, and you were easily able to complete your like day's quota of work in well under the time that the others were, right? Yeah. You were getting through your work much faster than everyone else, mainly just because you're a Primarch and you're better at everything than everyone else, especially normal humans. Yeah. Uh, Pistons. Now... <laughs> Sorry. You say peasants? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. That was good. I like that. But yes. So the older you got, obviously, you came to be like a full-sized man, right? Yeah. And by this stage, you were like, the more you had worked, the more you had kind of understood your machine. Because obviously Primarchs are pretty well known for the ability that they take to basically anything really well. And that includes intellectual pursuits, as you know. And in this case, you were pretty pretty quickly able to suss out how your machine worked just by using it. Which means shortly after that, you quickly figured out how to make your machine better and started modifying it. So you started upgrading your like fabrication equipment that you had so that you could do your job even faster. So nice. you were like you were like getting in, pumping out a whole shift's work in the first couple hours and then bailing. Right? You're like, guys, I'm done for the day, I'm out. <laughs> Sack this. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so because you were doing so well, pretty soon you started rising through the ranks within the factory. You started getting promoted. And by the time you were 15 years old, by Terran standards, because obviously they don't have day or night, so (laughs) I don't know how they quantify years, but I imagine it's questionable at best. Uh, (laughs) So by the time you were 15 years old, you had become one of the executives of this factory fortress, which meant that you were part of the ruling class now. Yeah. Which means you have... Uh, power in a lot of ways. You can make some changes, right? Because obviously you mm-hmm. will be opposed on a lot of things, but you do have the power to do some stuff, to change some stuff. I have a voice. You have a voice. That's exactly it. Uh, so with this position, this like ruling class position, came knowledge. 
and mm-hmm. not only knowledge of like how everything works and stuff like that, or access to knowledge beyond just working factory machinery, you also gain knowledge of the actual state of the planet and how it came to be how it was and things like that. And you realized yeah. pretty quick that Chemos was a was a deteriorating world, right? The populace mm-hmm. were not producing enough to survive. Every year, the populace dwindled more and more and more. You were basically on a slow decline to your own guaranteed death, right? That sounds bad. <laughs> exactly. Right. You, you, the, the planet did not produce enough to support itself, and it physically could not as things were. And it was as simple as that. Yeah. Seeing this, you decided to take it upon yourself to save the planet. You weren't going to let these people die. You were going to fix this. Yeah. So, now that you were in this kind of ruling position, you had power to a degree. What you did was, you kind of selected a team of engineers. And you were like, right, got a mission for you. You're going to go to this ancient lost mining outpost that we shut down centuries ago, right? Mm. And you're going to get up and running again and ship over all the materials back to us. So, all of a sudden, there is much more raw materials coming into Kallax than there was before, because you've now got a secondary mining outpost running, right? There's a Mm. good chance you've basically doubled your input of raw materials right then and there. And with that, you were able to produce a lot more. But you kind of decided that some of the materials would go to like a project you were going to oversee, You directed a bunch of the engineers in designing better equipment for the fabrication of stuff. So the machine you were using earlier on, you were like, no, no, that machine is crap. I can tell you 10 ways to upgrade it right here and now. But the machine as a basis is limited. We need to build a better, more sophisticated design right from the start. Right? We need to build a whole new machine, a whole new design. So you get the engineers to sit and plan this out and you work with them and together you make up a design for a much better machine, much more efficient, much better energy usage, right? Mm -hmm. And then you start getting these things into production, start swapping out the old machines with these new ones. And suddenly, Kallax is is producing way more than it needs. For the first time in Chemos' history, it's producing an abundance of resources rather than a deficit. You're finally on a positive footing here. Yeah. Right? And because of this, the other factory fortresses obviously heard about this, and uh, you end up in a position where a lot of them wanted to ally with you to get access to this technology so that they Mm. could, so the whole planet could prosper, basically. Yeah. For the first time. Exactly, for the first time. (laughs) But with this kind of surplus of materials coming in, you didn't need everyone to work every minute of every day until they died. They had free time for the first time in generations. So you encourage them to start taking up arts and stuff again, right? Yeah. So they start getting free time, start getting recreation, start getting leisure activities. Like... Amazing, amazing time for the planet of Chemos. You really yeah. turned it around for everyone. Yeah, they can finally have like a vacation and stuff. Exactly. Don't know where you're gonna go, but I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that's a separate issue. <laughs> it, it is, but that's yeah, you're fine. right. You're right. They finally actually get a chance to have a life beyond living. Yeah. So, a little bit of time passes, and it's a few years kind of go by, and by the end of this. You are the singular ruling body of this entire planet, right? Because everyone realized it was all down to you, and it was you personally they had to ally with, not Kallax. So you end up ruling the whole goddamn place. Although some of the alliances you had to make, like that you made with the other factories and stuff, came out of marriage. Mm -hmm. So you married people to join your factories into like one alliance kind of thing. And this happened a bunch of times. But every time you got married, you very quickly outlived your spouse. Okay. Because um, the life expectancy on this planet is not great. So you very quickly imagine. would outlive the person you had just married yeah. and then have to marry another one and make another alliance and so on and so forth. 
until the whole planet was kind of unified. But at the start, obviously, when your spouse passed away, it was heartbreaking. And it happened that many times. By the end, you genuinely just didn't care anymore. Which is pretty <laughs> goddamn depressing. <laughs> really is. Like, but, the love of my life. And then, like, a hundred years or a couple of hundred years later, it's like, ah, uh, just another one. <laughs> uh, love of your life might be an exaggeration. It was foreign alliance from another factory you've never been to. It wasn't right. exactly like you'd been courting each no, other for no. decades. Oh, we had, Ryan. Love at first sight. <laughs> True love at first sight. It honestly <laughs> may very well have been love at first sight, but uh, yeah, eventually it always ended. And every time it did, it gradually just ground you down more and more. Yeah. Upgraded to mo- a new model. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think you're allowed to make jokes like that if your spouse is a horrible person and you chose to leave them. I don't think you should make jokes like that when they died. <laughs> I think that's an important distinction in that joke. <laughs> well, since I was Fulcrum in this scenario, they were all horrible. There we go. Thank <laughs> you. You're allowed to yeah. make these decisions. I wasn't there. Yeah. I'm just a narrator in this situation. <laughs> the iterator. Exactly. <laughs> so, by the end of all this, you stand, as I said, as the ruling figure of Chemos, and the people are prospering. Right, the the world is kind of getting back to like a reasonable footing. Now, not long after this point, you get word of a flight of dropships over Kallax, and when you go and you kind of witness this, you see every one of them is bearing the same sigil, right? The same kind of mm-hmm. symbol marked on them, and it's this twin-headed eagle, which is, as you'll know, the symbol of the emperor. <laughs> Yes, like the one right there. Exactly, the Aquila. Also, I forgot to show you this. This is young Fulgrim at this stage. Oh God, I'm a hipster. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Or a Greek philosopher from an ancient era. One or the other. Maybe. A little from column A and a little from column B. Yeah, hipster philosopher, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So wise. (laughs) (laughs) So wise, so trendy. It's so trendy, so fashionable. <laughs> Although it's a nice purple, let's be honest. That's a nice purple. It's like a, I would call the, the dark moon, purple. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I, I think know. of dark moon as like a as like a a really like light blue, like like that kind of blue, as if it's like a reflection or like just catching it. Why are we talking about colors? Like it's not mulberry mist. I don't care. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. No, never mind. Never mind. Right, right. In terms of this outfit, though, what what is purple and not that heavy? Fair, fair. Light purple. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. Continue. <laughs> that that went wildly off track. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> so these dropships are coming down, and when you see this symbol on the side of them, it kind of. Something about it resonates with you, like a long-lost memory kind of thing. You're not sure exactly what, but it stirs something within you. And Chemos has no army, right? But they do have, like, a police force for each of the, like, the fortresses. Just for if someone starts to, like, start shit, the police guys can go, like, just drag them away, basically. Or drunk people. So, whatever, I don't know what would happen, but it's basically just like a, like a, yeah, a local police force kind of thing. But they have to act as an army in this case. So they all, like, line up under the dropships, like, (laughs) to try and stop them. And because you've got this kind of, like, stirring of a memory, you're curious. So you're like, no, no, Mm -hmm. let them land, tell them to kind of, like, send them to me. So you go and you wait in your kind of, like, personal quarters for them. And yeah. when they arrive, there is this group of assembled uh, soldiers, these hulking warriors in massive armor. They all stand in front of you. And the armor is like, it, it's it's battle scarred, much like the faces of the people wearing it, right? It's yeah. obviously well used warrior's armor. And they've got yeah. these like banners hanging from it that list their achievements and stuff like that. And. Yeah. When you look at when you look at it, when you study it properly, because you're quite a thoughtful guy, you take your time with these things. So you kind of like you look over them properly, and you see that the armor and the weapons are master crafted. The banners are finely worked, and 
the even the battle scars that they have on their skin are like a thing of beauty, right? Yeah. And you realise that these men, your long-lost brothers, they had kept the arts close to them. The arts mean a lot to you because you were deprived of it for so long as a child. <laughs> like, it became a thing that meant a lot to you. And when you look at them, you realise that the art is part of everything about them, even if they are soldiers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, the weapon and armour crafting is an art form in itself to these people, clearly. And it means a lot to you to see that. Uh... Now, from their ranks, right, the men kind of like all, all separate and from the back of the ranks steps forward the Emperor of Mankind in his gigantic golden armour. <laughs> and as he stands in front of you, you immediately kneel and present your sword to him. And in okay. that moment, you swear undying allegiance to the Emperor of Mankind, to this man. Wait, so the emperor didn't even have to give a speech? He said nothing. Before he could speak, you did this. What? That's the, that's the first. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, normally he has these calling cards where he can, like, just read from the script. But ah, you know. No, he didn't have to do it this time. Although, after he accepted your allegiance, he then gave you the script of who he was and what was going on. Ah, okay. okay. It, it's really okay. hard to continue if he doesn't do it because it's like it's part of the ritual, you know. It's like ah, I think he had a little bit of OCD, know, maybe. It's like I have to do this. Come on. All right, it's kind of one of them situations where it's like you know, if you don't already know, I'm not gonna tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but he knew. He knew. I like to think of the emperor as being sassy. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> it's like after he like nuked Horace's spirit, he was just like, <laughs> <laughs> and then he fell over, almost dying. You know, like get wrecked, kid. Oh, that would be funny. Yeah, that's what that's what Fulgrim inherited from the Emperor. It was his sassiness, his sassiness oh, and his love for the arts. So the Emperor obviously explains, you know, about the far-off world of Terra and the Great Crusade and your place within that Great Crusade. Yeah. And then the Emperor takes you on a pilgrimage back to Terra, right? Because he needs you to meet mm -hmm. your legion and they're all back on Terra. Mm -hmm. That in itself is quite odd, as you might realise, that his entire legion were on Terra. Yeah. Every other one of them, their legion was already out in the galaxy you know, crusading and shit, and they either got called to the Primarch or the Primarch went to them or something like that. Yeah. No, your entire legion is on Terra, and you need to go meet them. Strange. That's a bit odd. Yeah. So the Emperor explains some pretty horrible news to you on the journey back, and this answers the question why they're all on Terra. Your... Your legion is only 200 men strong. There are only 200 uh, marines in your legion. Okay. Because the rest died. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> so uh, there was some kind of affliction attached to your gene seed, which has gradually killed off all of the children made from it except for these yeah. last living 200. And they really can't make more of the gene seed without the Primarch's genes to make it from, and they didn't have you to do that with. So there's a bit yeah. of rebuilding needs to happen when you get there. Now, when you arrive at Terra, they obviously assemble the 200 troops to meet you. And you gave a speech to your sons upon them all kind of being assembled in front of you. However few there may be, you felt it was necessary. You explained that you would rebuild your legion. Your sons would grow strong. For not even this adversity, this almost being ended at the very first steps, stopped them. And together, you would become one of the most powerful forces in the Emperor's arsenal. And the speech was so inspiring that the Emperor announced right then and there that the Legion would be renamed as the Emperor's Children 
and they alone would be allowed to personally bear his symbol, the Aquila. So yeah. I'll show you here. That is an Emperor's Children's Marine, and as you can see, on the shoulder guard is the Emperor symbol, the Aquila. No, oh, sorry, on the chest plate. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, they're the only Legion allowed to have it, and this is why. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Quite nice. Yeah. Thing is, this was both, like, a curse and a, a boon at the same time, because the Emperor entrusting you like that you became obsessed with this idea of living up to his expectations that like yeah. nothing short of perfection would be good enough and that's what you lived for from this point forward you had to meet his expectations yeah it's, I feel like it's a double edged sword it very much was yeah. yeah yeah so obviously they started to kind of regrow your legion now that they had you to get like a genetic sample from and yeah. your legion started to grow. It got more recruits from Terra, but they also took recruits from Chemos now. So the numbers started to swell. But obviously it takes time to create marines. It takes years, literally years, to make a full-fledged yeah. marine. Uh, so you were there for a while. But you obviously wanted to go out and, you know, do crusade stuff. But you weren't allowed because your legion was too small at this stage. So what they did was they put you alongside another legion. So they had Horus, Lupercal, and the Luna Wolves uh, take you and your sons in to fight alongside them. And that would bolster your number. So you would act as like a special kind of... like a special squad within their legion fighting alongside them. So you've got brothers yeah. to kind of make up the numbers, but also you can fight as an individual body in a way. And mm -hmm. Fulgrim gets to learn the ways of the Imperium from Horus himself. Ooh. Uh, I'll show you what you look like as a Primarch. <laughs> okay, I finally went away from the... Uh, I still have a bit of a hipster in me, but hey, at yeah. least I'm more, you know, true Yeah, still Primark. kept the cape. Still kept the cape. <laughs> ah, yeah, I still got some hipster in me. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So you became really close with Horus, right? You became really good friends with him. But yeah. in this kind of time period, you met some of your other brothers, obviously. There weren't a lot of them around at this stage because you were one of the earlier ones found. I think you were like fifth found. So there's not yeah. a lot of them before you. Uh, but the brother you formed the closest bond with, as you'll be well aware, is Ferris Manus. Yeah. And again, we come to the tale of the Gorgon and the Phoenix when the two of you had a, had a smithing contest and ended up trading weapons with each other. Mm. Mm. So obviously, as you remember, Fulgrim makes the hammer and gives it to Ferris. Ferris makes the flaming sword, gives it to Fulgrim. And yeah. they both wield them as their weapons for the crusade. Yeah. So I don't know if you've kind of clocked on, but obviously we refer to Ferris as the Gorgon because he was very stoic and unbelievably ugly. And we refer to Fulgrim as the Phoenix because not only did he drag Chemos from the ashes of what it once was, he also dragged his legion from the ashes. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he resurrects things, and that's what the Phoenix did. It resurrected after it died. Yeah. So It, it, it regrows, uh, well, reborns into a baby. Yeah, exactly. So Fulgrim gained the, the nickname the Phoenix, or the Phoenician, which just means Phoenix-like, I guess. Um, because of these things. So that's why yeah. it's called the Tale of the Gorgon and the Phoenix. Makes sense. Yeah. So we're going to get on to the kind of fault of chaos now. <laughs> you know, where everything goes right downhill. Yeah, because I swear, up until now, he sounds like, you know, a good loyalist. He is. The thing is, there's a couple of things that have happened that are like the stirring of where it can go wrong, you know? It's that yeah. that need for perfection because of the Emperor sits there and like, that, that'll whittle away at you, you know? <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. So it's those kind of things, you know? It's, the Fault of Chaos is always down to basically one character flaw which is then dragged to an extreme. That's basically all it comes well, down to, right? Not every time. Not every time. I remember Angron. <laughs> but even then, with Angron, he was forced to that extreme by 
you know, biomechanical components being driven into his skull. Yeah, but yeah. You know what I mean? But, I'm just saying, some people had it easier than others. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some of them had, like, a nice, gentle, like, walk down a hill into chaos. Fulgrim was, like, kicked off a cliff into it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Angron was kicked off a cliff into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Angron. Yeah. Uh, back to Fulgrim. Yeah, back to Fulgrim. So, the fall for Fulgrim starts around the same kind of time as the beginning of the heresy right it's like yeah. it's like right in line with Horace's whole thing of going off and getting stabbed and all that it lines up around there right yeah chaos really started all of its nonsense at once <laughs> uh, so it begins with a campaign like a, a military campaign that Fulgrim is hosting called mm-hmm. the cleansing of the Laren right so the Laren were an alien species that were kind of snake-based. I'll show you. That's the wrong one. This one. That's a Lair oh, warrior. So Fulgrim started off a military campaign against these guys that was said it would take like 10 decades to win the war. That's what like the Administratum were saying. The Administratum were like, can we just make them a vassal rather than killing them? Because we're not going <laughs> to fucking kill these guys. It is not going to be worth it. And you were like, fuck you, fuck your opinion, and fuck the snake people. I'm going to kill them. Because <laughs> they weren't perfect, and that wouldn't do. So they had to be killed. Yeah. Simple as that. So, the war with these things was an absolute living nightmare. Because these guys are, well, they're incredibly adaptable, which makes them a nightmare to fight. So, yeah. as an example... Their scouts are faster on, well, on tail, I guess, rather than on foot, uh, than most Imperial vehicles are. Oh, God. Yeah, right? So they can outrun basically anything, uh, which makes them a goddamn nightmare. Uh, They can adapt to breathe underwater, so if you ended up fighting underwater, they've got a massive advantage there. But also, they could use it for, like, sneak attacks, because who expects an army to slither out of the sea at any given moment? Nobody. Exactly. <laughs> Fucking exactly. So there's that. Okay, that's very overpowered. Yeah. They're uh, they're like snipers. Their eyes can adapt to be able to make an accurate shot miles away. So they could pick yeah. the head off of one soldier in a squad, like one particular guy, from miles out with a single round. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and even their starships, because this was this was a war in space as well as on the ground and everything else. Um, mm-hmm. On their starships, their troops were like biomechanically wired into the ship so that their reaction time was like instantaneous. So even then, their ships were massively more dangerous because the crew, the you know, the thinking part of it was part of the actual machine. Yeah. So. <laughs> It was a long, very, very bad war. Simple as. It was just rough as fuck for everyone. Really sounds horrendous. Yeah, yeah it's a kind of war you shouldn't do. <laughs> uh, so, if not for like the incredible quality of the Emperor's Children Apothecaries, something like over half of the Marines would have died from wounds alone. Like, God. yeah... Not only does that speak to the, how death, how deadly these things are, it very much speaks to the quality of your apothecaries. They are some of the best medics in the entire Imperium, I swear to God. Damn. Yeah. OP. Yeah. So this whole, this whole war finally ends uh, in one massive battle in this big temple, this, like, holy ground that they had. The last mm-hmm. warrior of the Laren, right, the last Lair warrior, died after fighting for 10 days straight. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. He, he died currently fighting, by the way. You killed him, like, after him having been fighting for 10 days straight. You finally killed him. And yeah. you then raised the banner of the Imperium above his corpse, claiming the planet in the name of the Imperium, once and for all. <laughs> And your trophy of this whole conquest was to steal one of their swords from this temple. Right? Yeah. I, I guess you assumed it was like a holy relic, but you're like, I'm having that, and just stuck it in your in your scabbard and fucked off. 
mine now, and just left with this weird, ornate, like, snake person sword. Uh, fun times. Now, good times. That sword, as I'm sure I've mentioned to you in the past, is what makes you fall to chaos, right? But there was two parts yeah. to it. It was both the sword, which you carried as your as your own sword alongside the one Ferris built for the rest of this whole thing. But it was also the temple itself. The temple was a awful, disgusting building, right? It was designed in this horrible architecture that was, like, confusing and disturbing to look at. It was all, like, garish colours that were, like, brighter than the human eye should be able to see and stuff like that. It was like you painted a building in high-vis, right? <laughs> it, it, was, okay. it was, like, fluorescent paints and stuff and, like, yeah. just disturbing shapes to everything. There's no point in being there. It makes no sense. It was disgusting to look at and you hated it. Everyone hated it. It was horrible to look at. Yeah. But... It stuck in your brain. You couldn't help thinking about it after you were there. It, like, resonated within you. And yeah. that resonance took the form or of a corruption, I guess, that the more it sat in your brain and the more you thought about it, the more that disgusting, disturbing side of it turned into you seeing it as, like, a an elegant and a beautiful thing. It never changed what it looked like. Just your opinion of it gradually changed the longer it was stuck in your brain. Yeah. And eventually it led that same process would occur with different things in your brain, causing you to fall into like obsessions of things. Be it perfection, as it usually was for the Emperor's children. But then you had um you had remembrancers, humans that saw this. And remember, I told you about one of them that started painting a painting of Fulgrim himself, and ended yeah. up using like gore from humans to to get the colors right. She was driven to that because she set foot in this temple, and it couldn't get her overhead. And eventually, that transfers over to this painting. This necessity to get it exactly right, influenced by that temple that she had been in leads to her cutting up people and using their blood for the reds and stuff. Mm, disgusting. We love it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely revolting. Um, there's another one. There's a, there's a remembrancer who is like a musician. She, she, she designs like orchestras basically. Right. And she even has a new instrument designed for it. <laughs> Because this one or this one like piece that she was that she was writing was influenced by being in this temple. Now it ended up being called the Maravigilia. Yeah, yeah. And when it, it took ages to finally get it together, and when it was finally played, everyone on the ship that heard it fl either died or flew into these fits of madness and like excessive lust and stuff like that. And it was just horrible for everyone involved, but they all loved it. Yeah, the the Maravigilia is now or has kind of transformed in a way, but it's said to be the song of Slanesh. The song of Slanesh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing that occurs because of this temple. But you had the sword on you as well, which whispered into you all the time, encouraging you to follow like further kind of obsession into like your your desires right yeah so every time you were like perfection is needed it was like ah but it's more perfection than what you thought was perfect yeah. it just keeps pushing the boundaries of what's in your head already making you go further and further into these kind of these these desires i guess but well past the point of excess yeah so yeah, everyone that set foot in that temple was doomed from that moment on. Simple as that. Be it soldier, Primarch, or a human. Everyone was doomed. It sounds like a script for a horror story, I'm not gonna lie. It honestly may as well be. <laughs> it kind of <laughs> is. Well, yeah. yeah. So within the kind of the heresy part of it, once we get into it properly, so we've covered a lot of Fulgrim's story. In other episodes, because he's a very he's a very prevalent character in the heresy, right? Like 
all of them are around. Not all of them are anywhere near as involved as Fulgrim is in the in the like actual heresy section, especially early on. So we have mentioned this stuff before. Yeah. So obviously there's the killing Ferris Manus at the Dropslight Massacre, and then giving his uh, his head and the hammer to Horus as a trophy. Yep. Um, and then being possessed by the sword. And it being, and then him being briefly stuck in a painting, uh, gradually turning more and more towards chaos by kind of every action being pushed closer to this, you know, excess, which was obviously being encouraged yeah. by the Slaneshi demon in the sword. The main point I want to discuss of the heresy for Fulgrim is turning into a demon Primarch rather than just being a chaos Primarch. Right? Yeah. Like Angron's apotheosis into a demon is a big deal. Fulgrim's is equally a big deal, but it's a bigger part of the story. So yeah. that's the main bit I want to get into. And this begins with Fulgrim and Perturabo heading into the Eye of Terror to retrieve a weapon. This this like ancient long lost weapon of massive power called the Angel Exterminatus. It was supposed to be so powerful that if the if the traitors had it, it would have tipped the scale of the heresy into uh, the traitors' favor, right? It'd be like impossible to lose if you had this thing. So you two make that journey, and it's a perilous journey. And your ship is boarded by like an, a loyalist group before you even get to the Eye of Terror, right? You're boarded yeah. by an enemy troop, and. There's like a brief kind of boarding uh, fight, a boarding battle goes on, right? During which Fulgrim is shot in the head. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah. Uh, luckily, his chief apothecary, Fabius Bile, is able to save him. But Fulgrim's shot in the head. Uh, and then the ship escapes. <laughs> the ship that attacks you just bails and runs away. <laughs> this is like the third time this one ship had attacked you and then ran away by the way <laughs> it just keeps happening through the whole heresy thing you piss them off at the start and now they just keep coming back and fucking you up and then running away again <laughs> really a bunch of arseholes <laughs> really yeah yeah but you continue on to the uh, to the Eider and mm-hmm. oh, I almost forgot. Sorry, I meant to show you this. Uh, there you go. That is Ferris and Fulgrim battling. Just so you know, that's a, it. Looks epic. I meant to mention it earlier. Or I meant to put it up earlier when I mentioned the beheading of Ferris Manus. But this is this is it. Yeah, it's quite cool. It looks quite epic. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty epic. Yeah, it's a fan made or yes, I believe it is. Uh, I will. I don't have the name on hand at the moment, but I do have a note of the name of the artist. I will put it in the description of the video. I have a couple of pieces of artwork from this that are done by particular artists, and I will have all accreditation in the description if anyone's wondering, you know, who made what. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, this is an absolutely incredible piece of artwork that shows Looks pretty insane. well how epic the battle actually was between these two. Like, every time I see that, I, I, I'm i like, we, we gotta get a movie. Yeah, right? You know, at some point, we got, really gotta get a movie. Yeah! So. It's gonna be good. I'm telling you, Cavill's on it. He's <laughs> gotta be. I mean, he's working. He's working away. I feel like, away. I feel like if we get, like, Horace Heresy, like, TV show or movie out of this whole, like, Amazon Studios Warmer 40K stuff, mm-hmm. if we're doing Horace Heresy era... I want Cavill to be Ferris Manus. Because it's not the biggest role, which I feel like he'd be fine with, like he'd be happy to do, but it's such a good role to be in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And I feel like he'd do it so well. Yeah. It'd be good. He doesn't need, he doesn't need the effects on him. He's already built like... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just give him some armor and he'll be good to go. Armor and a hammer, yeah, he'll be fine. fine. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. So moving forward, Perturabo Fulgrim go into the Eye of Terror to find this ancient weapon, and yeah. they land on a planet which is an old Eldar planet called uh, Lydris, something like that. Lydris, Lydris, 
And okay. once on the planet, they head to these ancient Eldar ruins. And mm-hmm. obviously there is defences there because it's an ancient Eldar ruin. So suddenly you're set upon by army or by whole fucking platoons and shit of wraith lords and wraith guards. So mm-hmm. in the battle that, that ensues, you, as Fulgrim, obviously are like, I'm going to take this chance to bail. And you just fuck off, leaving your troops in Port Rabo to fight. Unfortunately, okay. unfortunately, Port Rabo sees you doing this and follows you, leaving the troops to fight the Eldar. And he follows you until you get to this big, massive, spherical room that you walk into. Yeah. And it's in this room that you explain to Portrabo, because he followed you, so you may as well, you know, do the villain speech. There is no weapon. Your whole plan the entire time was for you to become the weapon. You are going to become a creature so dangerous that you will tip the scale of the heresy into your favour immediately. Yeah. Now, after explaining this, Port Rab obviously tries to attack you because you're a nutcase. <laughs> <laughs> but you had planned for this. You had given him this this stone earlier on as a gift, right? And it's like this ancient artifact which steals the energy from stuff. So you had given him this as a gift, and at this point when he attacked you, you were like, on! And it just suddenly drains all of his strength. <laughs> so he is basically useless in this situation yeah so he stands there just weak as he could be just totally drained but raging at you <laughs> and he's totally unable to fight you in any meaningful capacity at this point he would basically just yeah. be wildly flailing at you and there, so you two have a, like a brief discussion about Fulgrim not wanting to be an angel anymore, him wanting to be a god, and Port Rabo basically just denying the existence of chaos gods or gods in general, and not wanting anything to do with chaos. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna read a little like excerpt from one of the books because it it's really cool and it really sets the tone of what's going on here, but also it gives you an insight into Port Rabo. Yeah. <clears throat> Is that why you sided with Horus? Demanded Portrabo, standing right in front of Fulgrim, his enraged features so close that none could come between them. Jealousy? Vanity? Such pettiness is for the weak. We were made of for greater things. What would you know of greater things? Sneered Fulgrim. You don't know the things I dream, said Portrabo. No one does. No one ever cared enough to find out. It's pretty harsh, but I'd say that gives you a good insight into, like, why Portarabo is on this side of things. Yeah. You know? But it's I feel like it really sets the tone for this. It's very much a, a brother-on-brother kind of thing. Even if they weren't each other's favourites or anything like that, there's obviously this whole, like, deeper thing going on, you know? Yeah. Really dragging up the emotions while you try to lay, the, like, lay out a 12-foot-tall demigod. <laughs> So, at this point, Fulgrim obviously holds the power of Portarabo in his hand, and he explained his plan to ascend to demonhood. Mm-hmm. Now, just as Fulgrim is about to complete his ritual to turn into a demon, uh, Portarabo uses, you know, whatever little strength he could muster to try to dump tackle Fulgrim. <laughs> just tries to charge him. Right? But before this all kind of gets anywhere, they are interrupted by a group of salamanders, iron hands, and raven guard marines who have been following them. They've been stalking them across the galaxy since the drop site massacre. Oh, God. <laughs> They're like, I'm getting this Felgrim dickhead. It's happening. I'm getting him. <laughs> I'm, he's mine. Yeah, exactly. I'm none of this shit. So, obviously, battle kicks off, and in the fight, one of the troops manages to destroy the artifact that was stealing uh, the strength from Portarabo. Yeah. Which means that he is suddenly back to full, full strength and decides to fucking pulverize Fulgrim. So with one decimating swing from his hammer, he crushes Fulgrim. Oh, God. Yeah. 
Now, unfortunately, Fulgrim had already achieved demonhood, so when his body is destroyed, he is just reborn as, you know, big snake monster Fulgrim. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, so this thing pops out after uh, after his human body is absolutely flattened by Perturabo's hammer. That sounds horrendous. Yeah, very. Like, so, I, I just. Oh, actually, first of all, after being reborn as this, he immediately disappears in a warp portal. He just fucks off. <laughs> yeah, it's like enough of this. I'm out, Bill. It's like I got what I wanted. Um, but there is. Something I want to point out here, right? So, back at the beginning of Fulgrim's kind of story, I guess, or at the the tale of the Gorgon and the Phoenix, right? Mm -hmm. So, they make a weapon for each other, and they swap. So, Ferris Manus crafts this hammer. Sorry, Fulgrim crafts this hammer, gives it to Ferris Manus. Ferris Manus then carries it for the entirety of the Great Crusade, until he meets with Fulgrim before the final battle on a or the Dropside Massacre on Istvan Five, right? Yeah. At which point he wields the he wields the hammer against Fulgrim. Fulgrim kills him, takes his hammer and Ferris's head, and gives them to Horus. Horus gives the hammer to Perturabo as a sign of like loyalty. And lo- and uh, Perturabo has just used that hammer to kill Fulgrim. It all came full circle. It all came full circle. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? Aye, storytelling. Eh? Dude, dude was pulverized with his own goddamn hammer. <laughs> Take that, you snake asshole! <laughs> so. Uh... From this point, Fulgrim turns up a couple more times before we get to, like, final battle territory. But basically the gist of it is those times that he turns up are only standing to show off his new sneaky Slaneshi magic powers, right? He kind of just turns up to show how big and cool he is and kill some people in the process. What a show off. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Well, he's perfect now. He's, you know, snake feet or snake body. That makes him perfect. That's the rules. Uh, have you noticed he's basically became one of the lair warriors? Yeah, I've, I have noticed that. Yeah, I found that really funny. Because uh, that kind of implies... Because the lair obviously worshipped Slanesh, and they didn't know that when they attacked them. Uh, yeah. Because their temple was obviously a temple to worship Slanesh. The sword that they had as like a ritual weapon had a demon of Slaanesh in it, stuff like that. They were obviously Slaaneshi worshippers. So yeah. there's a possibility that actually they never, or they weren't initially like that, and they became, like, snake-based through their worship of Slaanesh, which is interesting. Hmm. Mm. Like, the whole race underwent the same process, possibly, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So... The next time we kind of see Fulgrim properly, we obviously covered it in the Lorgar episode, where Lorgar has to go get Fulgrim from the Palace of Slaanesh within the warp, but they enslave him with the plan to use him to kill uh, Horus, so that Lorgar can usurp control of the heresy. Yeah. But the Lorgar heresy doesn't sound as cool, so the plan doesn't work. Fulgrim never actually attacks uh, Horus and Logar is slapped on the wrist and sent back in like the absolutely pitiful excuse of a Primarch he is. <laughs> Dunzo. <laughs> so, Dunzo. Fulgrim is obviously around for the actual Siege of Terra. Yeah. So, his primary role in the Siege, other than annoying Angron, comes at a later stage when Abaddon asks him to help him with a plan that he has. The plan is basically, we're going to attack the Saturnine Gate, this big-ass last gate into the palace, right? And I need, yeah. like, he needs Fulgrim to be there for, you know, a show of power and take people's attention. And then Abaddon's going to sneak off and do a secret, like, sneak-in attack to try and break in underground, right? Yeah. So you're like, fuck it, may as well. So you do that. You lead the Emperor's children into war against the Saturnine Gate. Uh, 
When you get there, you find Abaddon in battle with Sigismund, the Emperor's champion, one of the, the true sons of Dorn, right? And you're yeah. watching these two fight, and you're like, that fucking champion is an absolute tank. He is kicking ass. Yeah. You are very impressed with this man. This Emperor's champion is a beast. Sigismund does not fuck around. Sigismund is a, char- uh, Sigismund is a character we will definitely discuss at a later date, by the way. He has a very good storyline. Oh. Um, hmm. but at some point you're like alright I'll get involved so you go over and start fucking up Sigismund because you're still a Primarch and you're also a demon so you, even if he is a tank you're going to kick his ass Yeah. so Abaddon escapes to go do his sneaky underground mole plan and you stay there and lay out uh, Sigismund before you can actually kill him here comes Rogal Dorn charging out to beat you to the ground yourself right <laughs> Yeah. I should note, at this point, you are leading this war as a human. You're leading it in human form, not in snake monster form, right? But you still have all your demony benefits. You're still vastly stronger than you were and have magic and stuff, right? Yeah. So, in this fight, you keep taunting Dorn to try and, like, make him reckless, and he does not care. <laughs> he just ignores everything you say. And he has the upper hand. He is better in this fight than you are. He is kicking ass. And yeah. eventually he manages to impale you. Which you just laugh off because you have magical healing powers now. So you just you just laugh off, pull the weapon out and heal and then turn into a big snake monster. It really is overpowering, you know? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Uh yeah. But around this point, before you, you know, waste the time pulling the arms off Dorn as a big four-armed snake monster, um, you get word that Abaddon's plan has failed. And because his plan has failed, it means that the entire assault on the palace has failed. Like, you're not going to win no matter what. Now, this failure is what causes Horus to drop the shields on his ship to, like, entice the Emperor into a last-ditch battle. Because the assault has actually failed at that stage, right? Yeah. Um, so, because you hear this, you're like, oh, we'll sack this for a game of chess, I'm out. Um, so you decide to just leave. But you summon up Eidolon, who is one of your captains, uh, and a bunch of his elite guard to go fuck up Dorn while you leave so they try to assassinate Dorn and just end up getting thrown around a bit by a Primarch well you just you just go you're out like I'm done I'm bored now <laughs> I'm done so yeah exactly <laughs> I'm out bail and you just left that was it you and the you and the rest of your dudes just fucked off that was that was you done with the siege that was heresy over for you you were like ah sack this <laughs> screw uh, this I'm going home yeah basically yeah and so you did. You you left Terra with your legion, and you kind of just left randomly and started uh, ransacking worlds for slaves. You just kept raiding worlds as you as you went like went along, just stealing slaves from people. Uh, oh. Also, I've got I've got another picture that I really like of uh, of Demon Fulgrim, which is quite cool. Oh. I mean, he looks kind of like a Dragon Ball Z character. But. <laughs> he does. He does. It also appears to be a much a much more androgynous style. Like, the face is a much more androgynous, yeah. which I think suits yeah. better because Slaneshi demons and stuff are all very androgynous for the most part. It's like, it's a very specified feature of them. So it makes sense yeah. to have Fulgrim kind of drawn in that light. You know? Yeah. Uh, but... Going forward, you leave Terra, you raid a bunch of planets for slaves, eventually you start running out of slaves and places to steal them from, so you start raiding other traitor uh, other traitor legions' worlds and stealing their slaves. Uh, this, this prompts what is called the Legion Wars, which was an incredibly long war between all of the traitor legions and it also took place within the Eye of Terror as well. Yeah. <laughs> so just this incredibly long war where all the legions hate each other. Actually, out of that war, the Black Legion was born, interestingly. Abaddon took the chance to like unite a bunch of like the disparate factions of them that weren't like directly aligned with the Primarchs and stuff into one big faction that was like, you know, 
Like, we fight for us, not for a Primarch, not for the Emperor, none of that. We fight for brothers, brotherhood. Yeah. 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 Uh, and as you'll be well aware, the most important thing Fulgrim does in this time after the heresy is on the planet of Thessala, he slits the throat of Robute Gilliman. Yeah. This is a picture from their final battle, which is very cool. <laughs> We get a lot of good artwork today, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People are all about artwork of Fulgrim and stuff. I don't know why. <laughs> I know why. <laughs> Something about sexy snake Primarchs just makes people want to draw. <laughs> He'd be very happy. He did love art. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. it's very fitting. But that is the tale of the Primarch Fulgrim. Ooh, what a tale. Yeah. And with that, we have... Our what sixteenth, sixteenth Primarch to rearrange on the tier list. We only have two oh to go, man. Two I was about to say we're nearing the end. We are. Oh we God. very much this are. Is the end. So we're I about his we Fulgrim. Yep. He is here. He is second last in A tier, right above in the A-tier. lion. Hmm. Who do we have like in the beginning of uh, B tier? Uh, so. From first to last, B tier is Angron, Jagatai Khan, Mortarian, Conrad Kurz, Rogal Dorn, and then Ferris Manus. Hmm. Hmm. Because I already, uh, I've always, always liked Fulgrim, you know? He's a cool guy. He's kind of cool, but the thing is, I don't feel like he belongs in the A tier. That's fair. I feel like he belongs in um, in the B tier. Uh, also, have to do with like some Ferris stuff. Yeah. Um, but it would be very mean to put him like next to Ferris, wouldn't it? Probably. I feel like he is vastly better than than most of them in B tier. He is. Like, so, like he's so definitely the- better than like Jagatai Khan. But Jagatai Khan's up yeah, in up yeah, at yeah. second. <laughs> Yeah, but I like Khan though the Khan of Khan. Yeah. But the thing is, the thing is, for, just for story, like just for the fairy tale, that could be nice. But I, I think he should be. Wait, where was uh, Khan? Khan, uh, Jagatai Khan is second in B tier. I think. I think. I think Falcon should, should take his spot. Okay. Like, not that you switch them, but like right in front. Ah, of yeah. Him. All right. So Falcon is now second in B tier. Yeah, I nice. think that's good. It also makes like a whole pyramid thing. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> on the, on the list. I want to make it clear, Lorgar is still at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> we should just call it Lorgar, the rating. <laughs> I, I think there we go, right. the Lorgar rating. <laughs> oh, God. Great. Yeah. Great. But I think that will cover us for today. All right. Do you want me to uh, round us out? <sighs> I suppose... Oh, if you insist, right? Well, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Iterators of the Imperium Podcast. It has been me, Mess, and Ryan, and we will see you next week. Take care and peace. Bye.